Welcome to the Virginia Beach Potter's House Sermon Podcast. We're doing something a little different this week. We'll be featuring sermons from the recent Bible conference held at the Door Church in San Antonio, Texas, pastored by Richard Ruby. We're sure these powerful messages will bless your life and help you live for God. And we'll return to our normal schedule next week. God bless. Singers, we appreciate that ministry, and so I want to uh, also welcome everybody. We're really glad that you've made an effort to be here. Uh, people from uh, uh, Asia, people from uh, Europe, people from uh, Latin America, and uh, even people from Texas. And so we're really glad uh, that you are here. Amen. As we are getting adjusted to this new location, this is an answer to prayer. And, uh, and so we thank God for that. You uh, work with us. Okay, a couple of things. Again, I need to just remind you of number one, if the, there's a reserved seat, you know what that means? It means it's reserved. And so lifting the little reserve sign off of it doesn't make it any less reserved. And so help us out there. They're, 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 they're there for a reason. Amen. And say, well, I didn't get one. You didn't get one. And so uh, help us out. Number two, if it says handicap, then leave it there. That is for people that whatever disability, how many agree with me? If you know anything about healing, if you pretend to be handicapped, you're going to curse yourself. Okay, you, you see people driving and they've got a, uh, you know, a handicaps uh, bumper sticker and then they get out, look like they've just been lifting 400 pounds. Don't do that to yourself. Amen. Okay, so uh, leave them. Please do not remove, remove those. Uh, uh, this is a big building. Uh, the ladies that are prepared to come in and clean it, make it nice and clean for us tomorrow morning. But they've got to get to work. We do not want them to be here till midnight after we're done, as Pastor Martinez said, please, if you'll make your way out to the foyer, we're outside, that would really, really help us. Uh, we've instructed our ushers to, uh, you know, after a few minutes, begin to turn out lights, begin to move people. And if you'll work with that, we really would appreciate it. That would be a great, great blessing. And then I do want you to know that we do have nice big nursery facilities. And so if you have a nursery aged child, we ask that you please put them into the nursery and help us out that way. It's very hard for a small child to, be, to stay quiet in, in a room in a situation like this. And so uh, we do have nurseries available, and I want to encourage you to avail yourself of them. Okay, enough with the announcements. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to go there in the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I, uh, as I emphasize, this is a time-sensitive conference, and we're asking everybody who is uh, at the podium to respect your time. We will do that to keep the movement around, uh, down to a minimum. This is theater seating. It's very awkward to be moving people back and forth. We get that, so uh, we will do our best. We are sensitive to that, just so that you are aware. 2 Timothy in chapter 3, we're going there in the Word of God. My brother Fred pastors in London, England. Uh, he is looking for a building. I'm sure that he's going to grab uh, uh, Pastor Greg's promise and from the offering just moments ago. What a powerful, powerful presence of God was here in that offering. And so as they're looking for a building, a realtor contacted him and asked him if they might be interested in the old Hillsong London building. And so, as you know, Hillsong has ran into some problems. And, uh, and so that building is now available. And so he told me that they went to check out the building, but it was a very interesting observation he made. 
He says as they walked in the building and they looked around, he was like he was having a hard time believing they were having church there because it was a bit dirty. Uh, there were cracks. There were obvious uh, 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 problems uh, with the building. Um, it was clear that it had not been maintained. And he was saying, well, how could this uh, church draw so many people and have the building be in such poor shape until he realized the reason why is because the lights were never on. Their cell, uh, just uh, uh, a Christian rave, basically, is what it is. The lights are off and it was smoke and mirrors. And, and the reality was that uh, the idea of turning the lights on and having church and expecting people to sit down, listen to preaching, uh, and, and they, they, that's not what they were selling. What they were selling uh, was a Christian rave. If you are a little bit older, you might remember in the 1990s the seeker-friendly churches that began to emerge and it started with uh, Willow Creek there in Chicago and began to spread around and this idea is that well you have uh, uh, this distinguished uh, uh, you distinguish between the, the co committed Christians uh, but there are a lot of people who, who need to hear the gospel and they don't want to be turned off by too many demands uh, and so we're just going to we're not going to call them sinners anymore we're going to call them seekers and uh, this movement swept through America, mega churches grew uh, because of this idea that we're going to have church, but we're not going to make any demands on them. If you remember church history, you know there came a time where they, uh, after the first great awakening, where another generation grew up and that generation uh, wanted to serve God or they wanted to go to church. They were moral upright people, but they had never been converted. You read about the first great awakening was all about conversion. You, you had to have a testimony. Another generation came up who didn't have that testimony. And there was actually a big church uh, debate about what do we do with people who want to come to church, but they're not as radical as some people. And they came up with what was called the halfway covenant which basically said, okay, maybe you haven't really been converted, but you want to come to our church. And they swung open the door to them for church ministry and then later on church leadership. I'm saying all that because there's a temptation sometimes when you're building a church to say, we're going to build a church by lessening the level of commitment to accommodate more people and to make our ministry more attractive. Our conference is called Follow because that is the word of discipleship. That is the term of discipleship tonight. I want to preach a sermon called Follow Up. at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And then we'll jump to verse 10. It says, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people, turn away, exclamation point. Now jump down to verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord deliver me, yes. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
And verse 13 says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Father, I ask you to help us this week. Our hearts are open. Let your word stir and challenge us to a higher level of commitment. Lord, we want to follow you up. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. First of all, option one or option two. Now, let's remember that 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. These are Paul's last words. We tend to go to chapter four and we think about him saying, you know, uh, that I have uh, finished my course. Um, He is uh, crossing the finish line. He talks about certain important loyal followers that he had in his ministry. But the entire letter is actually his last words. And if you read second Timothy, you'll find that most of what he talks about is discipleship. And the context that, uh, uh, of the words that he says is in the context of discipleship. Now, I'm going to read 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, but I'm going to use the message translation because listen to what the apostle says. He says, don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanders, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust, allergic to God. Uh, They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Uh, Stay clear of these people. That's a modern translation right there. And he's describing something. um, And then having just said that, he turns to Timothy with the words we're going to preach on tonight. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me. Understand that when Paul refers to that group of people in those first five verses, we tend to say, oh, that's the world. He's talking about a prophecy of, of the how sinners will be in the last days. But if you read the letter, chapter two isn't about the world. It's about the many vessels that are in the grace house. He's talking about religious people. He's talking about people that were inside the house. Um, And yet, uh, they have gone in an entirely different direction. Um, And so Paul lays out two paths this uh, evening, option one or option two. um, And he says, uh, you know, you have a choice to make. Choice number one um, is you can be like the world. You can go to church. You can call yourself a Christian. um, You can, uh, you know, do all the the church things. um, But yet, when it comes down to it, you have taken on the spirit of the world and it's ugly But Paul says it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, He turns to Timothy and said, you have chosen the path of discipleship. And what he is saying, beloved, um, is that there is an option that discipleship tonight is not a church program. Discipleship is not just something that we do, you know, to try to raise up some disciples and and to have a few people that are getting ready to get sent out. Uh, Discipleship uh, is saying, you know what, Uh, I'm going to live for God because if I'm not a disciple, you know what happens to me? First Timothy, second Timothy three verses one through five happens to me. That when I choose not to contend for discipleship, I do not understand that the other option is to become a carnal Christian and take on the spirit of the world around me. That discipleship, beloved, is not a program. It is a choice to walk away from the spirit of the world. 
It's a decision to do uh, the will of God. The Lord Jesus put it this way, Mark 8, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels uh, will save it. Jesus said that when you and I choose the road of discipleship to follow Jesus Christ, uh, we are going to have to let go of something, but in letting go, we're going to gain something. Uh, that discipleship, beloved, uh, is far more than saying, well, I'm called to preach. It is saying, I am called to follow Jesus in such a way that it's an escape uh, from what I might have become if I would have stayed in the world. That is what a discipleship is all about. Let's think for a minute about Timothy, the young man that he's writing this letter to. Timothy was converted when Paul went, Paul went on his first missionary journey to southern Turkey. You can read about that in, in chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Acts. Um, and Paul had a powerful impact and revival um, there. Uh, he also experienced great persecution. Um, and it was in that first missionary journey where God uh, used Paul and he touched um, Timothy's mother and his grandmother. Um, and if you know your Bible, you know that it was at Lystra where Paul was attacked and the Bible says they dragged him outside of the city and they stoned him to the point where they thought they had killed him. The Bible says they left him for dead. And when they let the mob left, a group of Christians surrounded Paul. It is very likely that in that group would have been Timothy's mother, grandmother, perhaps Timothy himself. And the Bible says that this young man, you know this story, his biography, his father was a Greek. There's strong suggestion that his father uh, got his mother pregnant and split the scene. Where have we heard that story before? Uh, there's no mention of him at all, of any kind of positive influence. Uh, it would be fair to say that Timothy was a young, a fatherless young man. Uh, he was a half-breed, uh, that he had no purpose. Uh, he was going to walk in the curse uh, of many a young fatherless boy. Uh, and yet, uh, this young man decided, I'm going to become a disciple uh, I'm going to choose to turn away from what the world says, the road the world says I have to travel. I'm going to begin to be a, a disciple. Uh, and guess what? He became a powerful man of God. He became a leader, church, uh, because discipleship is another road tonight. It is a road to destiny. It is a road to purpose. Uh, and it says you do not have to go the way the world says you have to go. To the apostle Paul, the gospel is not a menu. After church tonight, some of you are going to go out to eat. 90% of you are going to go to um, fast food, but you go to a decent restaurant. They're going to have the starters. They're going to have the a la carte. They're going to have the dessert. You know, the problem with people is they think Christianity is that way. I'm coming to the door, but I want the starter menu, Pastor. Uh, I don't want the meat uh, and the potatoes. Uh, I just want a little uh, mozzarella salad. Uh, I want, I want, a, I want the, the uh, apple pie. I just want, you know, I just want to pick and choose here, but I don't really want the full course. You know what? I thank God every day that I wasn't saved in a flaky church. I thank God that when I got saved, Pastor Warner... Praise God. He got in today. He'll be here uh, tomorrow, Pastor Warner. I thank God that when I got saved, uh, 16 years old, radically converted, uh, that I wasn't saved in a church uh, that uh, saw a 16-year-old as a potential volleyball player for the team. 
I, they, they didn't just see, oh, yeah, what we're going to do. We're going to amuse the kids uh, with a bunch of games and pizza and things like that. Uh, but uh, I got saved where a 16-year-old could believe God could have a plan and a purpose for my life. Where there was the discipleship, there was something in that, that spirit of, that's exactly what I, I don't know if I would have made it, beloved, uh, if all they wanted to do was occupy uh, the teenager with fun and games uh, and didn't give me a burden, didn't give me a sense of discipleship. I know that I would have been 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5, uh, but thank God somebody said, but you, uh, and I was able to go in an entirely different direction. Rob Gifford, he wrote the book China Road. It's the best book on China I've ever read. If you haven't read it, you ought to read it. And Rob Gifford's story is this young man, he grew up in England, and he grew up reading about Hudson Taylor, and through Hudson Taylor's life, he fell in love with China, and he wanted to be Hudson Taylor. He was a very gifted young man. He made very high marks. Uh, he was a young man that was going places academically. And then one day he went to his pastor and he told his pastor that he thought uh, that God probably wants him to become a missionary to China. And I, 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 put, I put up what the, this is what the pastor said to him when this young man said to the pastor, I want to be a missionary to China. He responded, I think that sort of canvas might prove a little small for you. Rob Gifford said, I remember his words exactly. They surprised me because I always thought that human soul was as large a canvas as you could find. And so Rob Gifford never became a missionary. He became a journalist who wrote about China. And he writes this book and he uses this story as he's at Hudson Taylor's grave there in China, wondering uh, what God could have done with an, a young man who wanted to be a missionary uh, who had a pastor that wasn't interested in making a disciple. I thank God I was saved uh, where there was a passion for discipleship. Where there was somebody that said, you don't have to, you can go this way. You can do this. I was reading about a former pastor who was a, a part of a seeker church, one of the mega churches that flourished in the 90s in the beginning of this uh, uh, century, he said the mindset was always eventually we're going to transition these people to a serious faith. Eventually we're going to get around to it. Uh, I know they're all coming and there's just happy juice and band-aids uh, and programs uh, and everything else. But at, at some point we're going to get these people to a serious faith. Uh, he finally realized this will never happen. Listen to what he said. He said, this is why most seeker churches will, uh, uh, he said, this is why most seeker churches never manage to exit the theological merge lane. If you sell them on Christianity light, then you need to continue to offer Christianity light week after week after week. Discipleship is a gift. Discipleship is a gift tonight. And so this is our responsibility. The apostle said in verse 10, you have carefully followed my doctrine. Discipleship is not a program. It is an impartation carefully followed. If you have the King James Version, he says you have fully known. If you look up the word in the Greek, it means to follow close up or side by side, to accompany, to conform to, to trace, uh, or 
to understand. And so the Apostle Paul uh, is taking Timothy and he's holding up as a contrast. Uh, he says, you have this group right here, verses 1 through 5, and then you have Timothy. And he's putting them side by side uh, and he is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. Uh, he says, this young man um, has carefully followed my example. That Timothy was the product for contending for a close relationship with his pastor. And that became evident as the years rolled by, the apostle said uh, of this man, remember, Paul is about to die. And he is holding this up, this letter he knew was going to be uh, uh, propagated around the early church. Um, and he is saying, this young man carefully followed. You know, I was preaching in Oregon a couple of weeks ago and... Uh, after I was done on Saturday morning, one of the men in the church gave me a ride back to the airport in Portland from McMinnville, and uh, he had a Tesla. And so I got to cruise in a Tesla. I've been in them before, and uh, it's weird to be in a car where there's no sound. It's almost awkward. And uh, we're driving along there, and I, somebody had told me this, and I asked him, I go, isn't it true that every Tesla is pre-programmed with all of the options? That every Tesla's made, it has the self-driving feature, it has whatever uh, other features they might have. But when you go and you buy your Tesla, then you choose to what you want to pay for. If you don't want to pay for self-driving, if you want to pay for uh, whatever, you, you just don't pay for that. The car has the capability, but until you pony up a little bit of money, you're not going to get to do it. I want to tell you tonight about the Christian life. It's already been paid for. The problem a lot of people, though, beloved, is they're not getting all the features they could get because they don't want to pay a price. They don't want to go the extra level. They're, they're quite content to just kind of be here, uh, but that, that, that's as far as they want. They don't want to go any further. There's, you know, I don't really need air conditioning or heat, you know. I don't really need to have my, my headlights working. I, I don't really need to. And, and their whole attitude is, yeah, I know we're at the door and I know church planning and discipleship, but I'm not really interested. I just want to just get in uh, and just get to have him. But I don't want anything else. Here's the apostle saying to Timothy, you have carefully followed. You have decided on a different course. You have gone down a different road. You have made a decision that these people aren't making. They don't want to make that decision. They go to church, they say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord, but I don't really want to make that decision. 20 times, the Lord Jesus says, follow me. Over and over and over again is this invitation to follow. And the apostle Paul says to one young man, you have made up your mind to follow. You have made up your mind that I'm going to do this. And having done this, you look at all that you have escaped. There are people here right now, God love you, I'm glad you're in this conference, but you wrestle with carnality, you struggle so much with sin and temptation, and you don't know, I don't know why, well maybe it's all the movies you're watching. Could it be that the, the choice to live a carnal lifestyle, live on social media, you can't, get it. you can't go a day without going on Instagram or going on some social media site, posting another picture of yourself. And then you wonder why you're struggling. Here's this young man that God is powerful. And Paul says it's because you made a decision. 
because you decided I want to be a disciple. This is critical to follow closely. Two thoughts very quickly here. Number one, discipleship requires a decision of the follower. Everybody follows someone. Nowadays in social media, I have a follower. I, I'm follow, who, who you follow? Well, I follow some. I follow. Do you follow Jesus? Do you follow your pastor? Do you follow examples of godly men and women in your congregation? Or are you following uh, uh, some celebrity? Just, you, you, we make a decision. We're, all, we're made to follow. This is no mystery. We're created to follow. You have to stop and ask yourself, who are you following? You're following somebody who sets fashion. You can tell when women watch or look at a lot of social media because they start dressing irresponsibly. This, by the way, this is a Bible conference. This isn't a club. You, before you come to church, you might want to check yourself in the mirror or ask a godly woman and, and come to church. Men should not have to come to church and have to avert their eyes. The problem today is that, that they're following the world. You're letting the world tell you how to dress. That it's following, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, uh, everything else that is constantly put in front of us. We are made to follow. The question is, who are you following? We all know that when the, uh, the Bible says that Elijah, the chariot of fire, comes down and picks him up. Uh, and the Bible says his, uh, his mantle begins to float down. Uh, and as it comes down, uh, there is Elisha who has, just like Timothy, followed near, close by, walked alongside, fully knew uh, the prophet Elijah, and he receives his inheritance. And there, uh, uh, about 50 yards away, are the sons of the prophets who also knew that Elijah was a man of God. They knew the same things Elisha knew intellectually. They just didn't want to follow closely. You can get a group of disciples, every one of them says, oh, that, that my pastor is a man of God, uh, I know, I, I, and, but yet they just follow closely. You come to Bible conference, there are people you don't talk to all year. Now they're at conference. Oh, hey, pastor. You know, I learned a long time ago, people know more than they think they know. Or no, let me rephrase that. People know more than we think. Them. Sometimes we say, well, they just don't get it. They don't just understand, you know, they come, but they don't understand the vision. People understand a lot more than we think, than they let on. The reason why they're distant is because they choose to be distant. Because they don't want to embrace this principle you have carefully followed. They want to keep arm's length. I want to keep things this way because uh, it's not that I want to get close to uh, Elijah. They don't want to Elijah to get close to them. We become aloof. We become indifferent. We feign ignorance. Proverbs 23, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Discipleship requires you to say, I want to be a follower. But secondly, it requires a life worth following. Daniel Burnham said, make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood. The apostle had confidence in his testimony. He said to Timothy, you have known my manner of life, my doctrine, my, you know everything about me. People can't be discipled if you're not willing to set an example for them to follow. If you're pushing yourself away from that, uh, people have to be inspired. The apostle Paul had this quality about him that he said, you know what, follow me. 
Follow me. Follow what I'm doing. Follow my spirit. Follow my example. I want to tell you, there was something in him that communicated confidence. Uh, I said all the time, if you're insecure, you will not create secure men. There was something he said, follow me. Timothy, I've thrown open the book. You know what I'm about. You know, one thing I can say about uh, David Livington and C.T. Studd is these men caused thousands of people to follow them into the mission field. They were captured by their faith. They were captured by their sacrifice. A whole generation, you go and read yourself, there was a whole generation of young people uh, that read about their exploits, uh, who volunteered. There were 18, 19, 20-year-olds across uh, Great Britain uh, when they heard about uh, uh, what uh, uh, David Livingston was doing in Africa that uh, began to just sign up, send me somewhere, I wanna go. I think about Pastor Mitchell. Think about those years, those uh, nine or ten years where he was pastoring in the Foursquare and just kind of moving from place to place and figuring out revival, understanding what God had for him. And after all of that, uh, when, when God began to visit him, he had such a confidence uh, that, you know what, young men, you can look at my life. You can, yeah, I, I, you can fully know me. And invited these young men to, I preached on young men yesterday morning, that these young men, they, they saw something in him because he said, you can do this. I think about uh, my pastor that arrives in Tucson in a wheelchair and how the idea, who's going to follow me? Who's going to follow a, 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 a young man in his early 20s in a wheelchair? I want to tell you, but there was something about him I believe he got from Pastor Mitchell. I know what I, whom I believed. I know what I'm about. I know what my vision is. And somehow that confidence, uh, a young men began to come into these churches uh, and said, oh, wow, there's somebody that I can follow. There's somebody, you've got to live a life that way. You have to have a confidence. If I'm going to build a church uh, that men can look at me uh, and they can follow me and they will do something for God. There has to be that quality. First Chronicles 11 says, these are also the chief of the mighty men whom David had who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. Mighty men, mighty men come from following a man who's confident about the will of God in his life. And I, I have this thought, and maybe this is for another day, but I said, you know, there, there are men here, listen, I want to just say this to you. You can be a prayer warrior. You can be a liberal person, a great heart, have integrity. That doesn't mean you can build a church. God doesn't owe you revival because you have these qualities of character. You have to be a man who can inspire men to follow you. Men have to be able to come in and say, you know what, if I follow this guy, I'm going to go somewhere. The apostle had no problem. Timothy, hey man, you follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ, he told the Corinthians. He told the Philippians, the things you, you see in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. That's confidence. And if you and I are going to make disciples, we have to say, you know what, I, I know what I do. I know what I believe. I know what I'm doing. And men respond to that. I want to leave you with this, and that is the glory road. Discipleship is the pathway of blessing. We are not robbing somebody to challenge them to live a dedicated life. I have thought about this for a long time because years roll by, 
You have people, they grow older. Maybe life didn't go the way they wanted. You have kids who grew up in church. Now they're backslidden. And their whole thing is, well, you know, we just grew up in church. It was just church, church, church. And, uh, you know, my parents just lived this very dedicated life. We didn't even have a television. And, uh, and uh, we just had this horrible, horrible. Listen, you want a horrible life, man. Come with me down to the west side, and I'll tell you all about a horrible life. I make no apologies for saying to people, you are better off living a dedicated life than living a flaky life. I need therapy because our church, my parents were in church all the time. I think we put an article in the packet you'll get on Wednesday about how there are people that are now suffering rapture anxiety because they were raised in churches that showed this movie where somebody got their head cut. I don't know what movie they're talking about right there. We show it about five times a year around here. Rapture anxiety. You know what that means? It means you're not saved. You better get your heart right. Anxiety is the fear of judgment. We have no apologies because you ask people to be dedicated. Jesus said, listen, you can, you can, you want to try to save your life? You're going to lose it. If you will dedicate your life to me, lose uh, the world uh, and you're going to gain it. He has no apologies at all to these men. As he's appealing to them that this is the pathway of blessing. We all know the little poem, one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. I want to mention three realities about following this morning or this evening. Number one, follow him to the cross. Follow him to the cross. Uh, Matthew 16, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Following Jesus means we are willing to follow him to sacrifice. It means that following isn't always going to be easy. That if we follow him, then he's going to take us places that otherwise we perhaps wouldn't go. But we're following him and he is saying, this is where I'm taking you. And that this is truly what following is all about. You know, this past August, Yolanda and I hit 40 years of marriage. And uh, hallelujah. I always tell people we got married when we were six. And uh, we went to... London, Fred and Norma are there. So you don't know, Fred's my brother. Norma's Yolanda's twin sister, you know. And so we decided we would go there and spend some time with them. While I was there, uh, Fred, let it be known to me that uh, you can go down to Dover, England, which is just about an hour by train from London, and you can catch a ferry across uh, the English Channel to Calais where you can rent a car, and then it's just a couple-hour drive to Normandy. I've been wanting to go to Normandy, uh, for many years, I didn't, real, didn't think it was possible or how to do it. And so, uh, thank God for my wife. She said, let's go. And so, we, we did it. And we went to Normandy, D-Day invasion, Omaha Beach. We went to the American Cemetery there. 165,000 men, June 6, 1944. The greatest invasion in world history. Not only that, there were thousands of men who went in a glider and took gliders and uh, landed uh, uh, earlier that morning in this uh, attempt to liberate Europe from Adolf Hitler. You go there and uh, you're powerfully moved. The American Cemetery, I was telling the church about it. It's very, very powerful, the American Cemetery. Thousands and thousands of men who lost their lives in this uh, incredible effort to liberate millions, a hundred million people. 
And you look at those graves. While we were there, we went to a place called Pont du Hoc. And uh, if you can show that first picture here, that's there. That's Pont du Hoc. And uh, if you look at it, it what, what you understand is that they're at the very corner right there. These cliffs are 90 feet. From there, the Germans had set up these heavy, heavy, heavy batteries and, uh, and cannon that aimed one beach is Utah, Omaha Beach, the other beach is Utah Beach. And from there, depending whatever direction they came, they had these massive cannon and, and all sorts of artillery they could uh, had open to, to kill men on both sides. And so the army rangers were given an objective and that objective was they knew what was coming. They were told to hit that beach they launched these ladders that would go and dig into the ground. And then these men had to climb these ladders in order to bring down those guns while Germans shot at them. Now that second picture, this is the picture that we put in our, in our uh, uh, flyer. There is a picture. It is coming any minute now. There it is. There it is. That's them. These men are climbing 90 feet while they're being shot at. While that picture is there, I want you to listen to these words. Ronald Reagan spoke these words in 1984. He went to that very site. And he said, the Rangers looked up and saw the enemy soldiers, the edge of the cliff shooting down at them with machine guns and throwing grenades. And the American Rangers began to climb. They shot rope ladders over the face of these cliffs and began to pull themselves up. When run ranger fell, another would take his place. When run rope was cut, a, major, a ranger would grab another and begin his climb again. They climbed, shot back, and held their footing. Soon, one by one, the rangers pulled themselves over the top. And in seizing the firm land at the top of these cliffs, they began to seize back the continent of Europe. 225 came here, and after two days of fighting, only 90 could still bear arms. Follow. Follow. These men would go and climb and, and another one would come and just follow them. So we think about, this is following. Following means other people have sacrificed and paid a price. Now it's our turn. That it's our turn. Take up your cross, Jesus said, and follow me. Follow him to the cross. Number two, follow him by following a man. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Let me ask you a question tonight. Who are you following? Who do you follow? Are you out there doing your own thing? Have you isolated your church from your mother church? Who's your pastor? Who are you following? You know, I know people get spiritual. Well, I'm following Jesus. That's convenient. <laughs> the apostle Paul didn't say that. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. I live out my Christian life through the examples of the men of God that were in front of me. You don't believe this, but I actually played football in high school. I appreciate you not laughing so hard, you know. I've said that in other nations, and they can't stop laughing, you know. And one thing they teach you is follow your blocking. You don't get the ball and say, everybody get out of my way. You take the biggest boys on the front line and say, please stay in front of me. And I will follow you. And I want to tell you, uh, I've followed Pastor Mitchell uh, and Pastor Warner uh, for the last 40 years of pastoring. Uh, I want to tell you that. 
You follow by following a man. That brings clarity and direction. And number three, we follow him to the nations. All the world, Jesus said, every nation, he said, uttermost parts of the earth. If you and I are truly following, then it's going to have to have a world evangelism expression. I want to say to our church planters that are here in this conference, you came here to plant churches. If you're not going to plant churches, you won't be a church planter. You might have come here saying, well, at this conference, we're going to kind of take it off, you know, in a little break. I'm going to just tell you down the road, there are no breaks. Our, around here, this is the calendar we operate by. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. There are world evangelism opportunities that are going to present themselves to you this week. There are men here that you've been telling us for years that you're a missionary and that God, at what point, when's this going to happen? It's going to happen when you follow him to the nations. When you make up your mind that you're going to do this. Because that's our call and that's our responsibility. I want to leave you with one thought and then we'll, we'll, we'll pray. I came across this. Actually, John Cortez sent me an article which led me to another article. And I didn't know this very interesting fact. Do you know that the oldest man on D-Day that was part of the invading force, out of 165,000 men, the oldest man to hit the beach that day was 56 years old. 56 years old. He was a brigadier general, and take get this, he was on the first landing craft to hit the beach. 56-year-old man. He, they didn't want to let him do it. He had to basically beg his uh, superior officer. They were like, you're crazy, you're too old, we don't want you to get shot. And he goes, no, no, I really need to do this, he said, because once they hit the beach, it's going to be crazy, and they need to see a general, somebody that can get a handle on things. And so sure enough, uh, the very first landing craft in the middle of a hail of gunfire and bullets, out comes this 56-year-old guy, uh, and he turns around, and he's directing men, uh, and many of the soldiers, when they find Finally hit the beach. They said it was the craziest thing. Bodies are everywhere. Body parts. Uh, there's uh, all sorts of gunfire. And in the middle of it is this old dude that's pointing, go here, go there, directing traffic. Um, and for that, this man was given uh, the Medal of Honor. One month later, he survived that day. He, a month later, he was in a little town, a town that Yolanda and I actually visited. And he had a heart attack and he died at 56. His name, Teddy Roosevelt Jr., Teddy's son. You say, why would Teddy Roosevelt Jr. push to be on the first landing craft at D-Day, knowing exactly what was going to happen? This man had been in battle before. You know why? Because when his father, Teddy Sr., was 57 years old and World War I broke out, he begged the president to let him lead a team uh, into battle. Woodrow Wilson was threatened by that, refused to do it. Teddy had friends who were part of the uh, uh, leadership in France, and they almost tried. It, it became a big, uh, 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 you know, political problem for Wilson, uh, and he wouldn't let him because Teddy wrote at 57 years old, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And, and finally, they wouldn't let him go. And now you go all these years into the future, and his son says, I want to follow my dad. 
I want to follow my dad. I want to do this. And he steps into this arena. 56 years old, says, I'm ready, I'm ready to do this. Who are you following tonight? Here's another interesting little fact. Teddy's grandson, Quentin, Teddy Jr.'s son, was also there on D-Day. So this man said, I'm going, and that, his son said, I want to be there too. I want to tell you something this evening. We're going to follow somebody somewhere. One day, you and I are all going to come to the end of our lives. When you, where you're going to be on that day is going to have to be with everything to do with who you chose to follow. Let's bow our heads. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.